Hello there, kitties. Glad to have you back. And if you're new to the show, welcome. This is Bible Study BS. Greetings and hallucinations to all of you out there in the podverse. And welcome or welcome back for episode three of Bible Study BS. Once again, I am your study buddy buddy, and today we'll be kicking off chapters five and six in Genesis, starting off with the riveting section that is the descendants of Adam, chapter five, and moving on to the implausible and wholly inaccurate fairy tale that is Noah, the ark, and the flood in chapter six. But before we get into those, I would like to issue an apology to anyone who listened to episode two. There was a bit of an editing issue, and the last couple of minutes were left out. I will try to be more careful in the future. Well, hopefully your nails are plenty long, because you'll be biting them off as we jump feet first into this undoubtedly uber-stressful tale. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. Now, here we see again, this is not a very inclusive, progressive, or sexually tolerant tome, as we have no real mention of Adam's better half, Eve. We just have Adam and or man. That is mainly due to the issue of me reading from the King James Bible. The King James Bible was originally published in 1611, and as we know, 1611 was such a progressive and accepting time for all genders and all lifestyles. Kind of like 2021. But if we move forward in time to 1971, when the New Living Translation Bible was published, we get this, chapter 5, verse 1. This is the history of the descendants of Adam. When God created people, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. A little bit of a difference, no? Nonetheless, we will be sticking to the King James Version of the good old good book for the sake of consistency and originality, not to mention the fact that my skeptic's Bible is a King James Version translation. Verse 3, And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800, and he begot sons and daughters. And all of the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Okay, <clears throat> we're just going to nip this in the bud right now. Man has never and will never live that long. The oldest person ever recorded was a French woman named Jeanne Calamette. She lived to be 122 years and 116 days. She died August 1997. According to Wikipedia, she died of an unspecified cause on August 4th, 1997, around 10 a.m. The New York Times quoted her caregivers as stating that she had been in good health, although almost blind and deaf, so not in good health. As recently as a month before, I have my suspicions as to how she died. It wasn't from skydiving. It wasn't from driving a flaming bus over the Grand Canyon. It wasn't from building an ark or pumping out a few more kids at that age, it was the fact that she was 122 fucking years old and the human body isn't made to withstand 122 fucking years of wear and tear. Christ, I'm not even 50 yet. We live in the time of medical miracles and sometimes I can barely make it out of bed in the morning without my joints sounding like a bowl of Rice Krispies. This is one of those things that I used to believe as well, that man could live that long. And it, it was all because of God and the Jeebus. Well, we can't. It's bullshit. Let's move on, shall we? Verse 6. And Seth lived an hundred and five years and begat Enos. 
And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And all of the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. And Enos lived 90 years and begat Cainan. And Enos lived after he begat Cainan 815 years and begat sons and daughters. And all of the days of Enos were 905 years and he died. And Cainan lived 70 years and begat Mahalalil. And Cainan lived after he begat Mahalalil 840 years and begat sons and daughters. And all of the days of Cainan were 910 years and he died. And Mahalalil lived 60 and 5 years and begat Jared. And Mahalalil lived after he begat Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all of the days of Mahalalil were 890 and 5 years, and he died. I'm trying to make this as entertaining as possible. Bear with me. And Jared lived an 160 and 2 years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years, and begat sons and daughters. And all of the days of Jared were 960 and 2 years, and he died. And Enoch lived 65 years, and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years, and begat sons and daughters, and all of the days of Enoch were 360 and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Okay, we're going to take a bit of a break here, discuss Enoch walking with God. What the good old good book says in the New Living Translation is, verse 22, after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day, he disappeared, because God took him. Look, I'm fine with progressing the story here, and, you know, going on and keeping the lineage going, but I want to hear more about who Enoch was and what type of guy he was. There are literally five verses about him in the Old Testament before God zoops him up to heaven. For what reason? In the New Testament, he's mentioned again, Hebrews 5.5. 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. What, he just pleased God? Th 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 that's it? There really needs to be more information on this guy. Again, this is just bad storytelling. Good book, my ass. And Methuselah lived an hundred and eighty and seven years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech seven hundred eighty and two years and begat sons and daughters. And all of the days of Methuselah were nine hundred sixty and nine years. And he died. And Lamech lived an hundred and eighty and two years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah five hundred ninety and five years and begat sons and daughters. And all of the days of Lamech were seven hundred seventy and seven years, and he died. And Noah was five hundred years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Quickly, we're going to take a little sidebar, and we're going to touch on Lamech's age, 777. Seven holds a lot of sway in the good old good book. We are going to jump here to the web page, Sevens in the Bible. It says, this is an ongoing list updated every time we discover a new seven in the Bible. Well, the book's been around for 2,000 fucking years, and I think they'd have found all the sevens by now. Anyhow, this list 
as many sevens as you can think. It's just pages and pages. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you know, sevenfold vengeance on Cain's killer, uh, seven clean animals. The flood starts in seven days. This is all in Genesis and Exodus. Seven days for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Passed over on the four, Passover on the 14th day of March, which is seven plus seven. Seventy palm trees. Seventh day not to gather manna. Seventh day uh, is the Sabbath of rest. Hebrew servants released in their seventh year. It goes on and on through the Pentateuch uh, into Kings, Joshua, Judges, Samuel. It just goes and goes. And it even goes into the New Testament. You know, you, you hit the, the book of Revelation, seven bulls, seven seals. And of course, one of my favorite Iron Maiden albums, Seventh Son of Seventh Son. What I'm getting at here is that seven is considered a sacred number, a number of completeness. Writers of the good old good book like to correlate numbers that made things look more than coincidental. The number seven is just a number, is just a number no more holy or important than any other. But by using it in this manner, biblical scholars can make it seem that it is representing so much more than it really does, because you can make any number mean something. Hey, Google Herald camping, you'll go down a rabbit hole. For instance, here's some examples of numbers. One signifies unity, both the unity of God and the unity of the members of the church. Two represents duality. Specifically, it can symbolize the divine and human natures of Christ, or the material and the spiritual. Three, of course, is the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Four can represent the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the authors of the gospel, which they really weren't, but we'll get into that way down the line. It also represents the four corners of the earth or the four seasons, and its association with the four seasons sometimes makes it the number of the earth. Five symbolizes the five wounds that Christ suffered on the cross, two hands, two feet, and a side. And by extension, it represents sacrifice, but I guess we're not going to get into the wounds on his head from the crown of thorns or the wounds on his body from the scourging. We're not touching that. Six represents creation because God created in six days. But it also represents imperfection because it falls short of the perfect number seven. As I said, seven is the number of perfection. God rested on the seventh day. Oh, Paul lists the seven gifts of the Spirit. Counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, fear of the Lord, understanding, and wisdom. Conversely, there are also seven deadly sins, pride, envy, sloth, gluttony, wrath, lust, and greed wonderfully symbolized in the Brad Pitt movie. And Jesus spoke seven utterances from the cross. The number seven is especially prominent, as I said, in the apocalyptic book of Revelation. You know, seven seals, seven bulls, seven-headed dragons, seven crowns, seven churches, and many other things with the number seven. Eight represents regeneration or resurrection. Thus, many baptismal fonts in the Catholic Church are eight-sided, as are baptismal crosses. Nine is the number of mystery or angels, since there are nine choirs of angels, seraphim, cherubim, thrones, dominions, virtues, powers, principalities, archangels, and angels. Ten symbolizes completion, since there are ten commandments. Granted, there's also ten plagues, but you know, whatever. Twelve is often used to signify the whole church because of the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles. However, thirteen represents betrayal, since there were 13 people at the Last Supper. But I've always wondered why that was considered bad luck since there were 12 apostles and Jesus was the 13th person. Is that why 13 is unlucky? I guess it means don't invite Jesus to your party. 40 symbolizes trial or testing since Noah's flood, Israel's wandering in the wilderness, Moses' stay on Mount Sinai, and Jesus' temptation in the wilderness all lasted 
40 days. That's why Lent is 40 days long. It goes on and on and on. But my point here is simply that numbers are numbers and they represent many different things and sectioning them off so they have to mean one thing and only one thing is ridiculous and harmful if taken too literally or seriously. Again, Harold Camping. Huh. Well, that little jaunt of boredom is what constitutes Genesis chapter 5. Fun, huh? Well, let's move on, shall we? But first, a word from our sponsor, Anchor. How would you like to create your own podcast? Well, do I have good news for you. You can do just that by using Anchor. And the even better news is Anchor is free. They even have creation tools that let you produce and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, now, they've even added a feature where you can add any song from Spotify directly into your episode, so your creative endeavors are endless. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, or anywhere else you may listen to podcasts. And you can also make money off of your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a good podcast in one convenient place. So download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. Here we are, Genesis chapter 6. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them as wives of all which they chose. Again, we are seeing how God wants man to be fruitful and multiply, but only men and women. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, for Brenda and Marcia. Like I said, evolution is looking better and better. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be an 120 years. So basically, God is tired of putting up with man's bullshit, and he's not going to allow him to live more than 120 years. That, of course, is not true, because from here on, men in the Bible live more than 120 years. Ah, one of my favorites right here, verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the sons of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him at his heart's. Essentially, what the good old good book is saying is that the sons of God, angels, made bang-bang with the daughters of man, and the result were giants, a.k.a. Nephilim, and that they were terrible and violent creatures, and along with the other sin in the world caused by man, <clears throat> God, that is what irritated God more than anything else and made him regret making man. So let's put this into perspective for just a moment. The total land, let's be clear here. That's less than 0.004% of the surface of the earth that God is irked at. God seems like a bit of a bitch in this scenario because he can't deal with what he created. And I would just like to touch on my referencing of God being he or him. There's really no way to know the physical sex of God, of course, mostly because he's a fictional character. But I refer to God as he or him for a very good reason, which is best explained by the late, great George Carlin. Quote, and by the way, I say this guy because I firmly believe, looking at these results, that if there is a God, it has to be a man. No woman could or would ever fuck things up like this. End quote. 
Verse 7, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Again, 0.004%. Oh, and just out of curiosity, what the fuck did all the animals ever do to piss off God? They were just moseying around, animaling, and they get fucked too? Look, I can understand wanting to kill off man. Hell. Half the time, I'd like to kill off man. I didn't even create the damn things. But couldn't an all-powerful, benevolent, supreme being just zoop man off the earth and leave all the puppers alone? This is just being petty. And the narrator not knowing how the physical world really functions. And it's kind of obvious that I like animals a lot more than I do people. Verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Now, this doesn't mean that Noah was sinless. It's just referring to the fact that he wholeheartedly loved God. They were buddies. That's like modern-day preachers gargling Trump's balls. He may be an asshole, but he's our asshole. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Again, this is the fault of God. God created man with free will, and man freely willed himself to disobey God. Man took that free will and utilized it to the best of his ability. Man became man. And the all-knowing, all-powerful God should have fucking known this and adjusted things accordingly. If God is omnipotent and omniscient, he should have known all of this. Verse 13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. That's just stupid and redundant. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. All right, let's break down the layout of the ark. First off, go for one. There is no modern variety of trees in the Middle East called gopher wood. It no longer exists, if it did at all. Different translations of the Bible call it different things. The New Living Translation calls it resinous wood. The New International Version calls it cypress wood. The Douay Reims 1899 American Edition calls it plank wood. And again, my point is that if, there, that if this is the holy and inherent word of the Almighty, why are there so many variations of the same thing? If it's gopher wood in one, it should be gopher wood in all of them. Anyhow, the other specs of the ark go as followed. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. So we'll translate that into about 450 feet long, so football field and a half. 75 feet wide, which is just shy of half of the width of the football field, and 45 feet high, or the height of a four-story building. Now, we'll translate that into metric. It's 135 meters long, 23 meters wide, 14 meters high. And I'm okay with translating this. Measurements aren't meant to be universal throughout time. If anything, this conversion leads itself towards legitimacy. 
And that's pretty much the only part of the story that does that. But let's discuss the makeup of the Ark. The Ark was a box. Like I said, 135 meters long, 23 meters wide, 14 meters high. But now here's the $65,000 question. Would it float? Now there is a great article that really gets into the geeky physics. Uh, it's called, Could Noah's Ark Float? In theory, yes. It's Smithsonian Magazine from 2014, I believe. It's an article written by Helen Thompson, and it really gets into the meat of this. It brings up density of woods. It brings up different physics principles. I would read it, but it's just, it's just, it's a long and drawn out article, and I've only got so much time. It talks about how much water is displaced, how heavy the ark would have been with animals, without animals. It's, it's just basically a lot of words to say that in theory, it would have floated. A box built with those dimensions would have floated. In reality though, well, first off, that's not an issue because there's no physical, historical, or geological evidence that it ever happened. But beyond that, regardless of the makeup of the boat, a big cube floating on the surface of a raging torrent of crashing waves would sink like a stone. Look, I'm not a physicist probably don't have to tell you that. And I can tell you that it wouldn't stay afloat. One of the sticking points in the study was that it was floating on seawater, salt water, which is denser than regular fresh water. Salt water causes things to float. Think of the Dead Sea or think of the Great Salt Lake. But it wasn't only seawater. It was rainwater as well as spring water. And we'll get into that a little bit more in the next episode. In other words, it was fresh water as well as seawater. So the buoyancy of the ship, which depended on the salinity and the density of the water, has been completely compromised. This goes a lot deeper, no pun intended, and we'll get into more geekiness, like I said, in the next episode. Verse 17, and behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. Well, I fucking hope so. It would have been a real dick move for God to commission Noah to build this stupid vessel and then tell him he had to watch from the sidelines while all of the animals leveled up to the next plot line. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark. To keep them alive with thee, they shall be male and female not Adam and Steve, of fowls after their kind and cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive and take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten and thou shalt gather it to thee and it shall be food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. Again, bad storytelling. Anyhow, this is where the rubber meets the road of the bullshit falsity of animals from all over the planet converging on ancient Mesopotamia in order to hop on the booze cruise that is Noah's Ark. Not only are all of these animals supposedly meandering there from all over the planet, he actually collected enough food and fresh water for all of these creatures and for his entire family for a year. It is staggering to think that people believe all of these fairy tales as truth 
and the word of God, even though there are mountains of physical evidence against the story. And for me personally, it's even more staggering to think that at one point in my life, I believed in it as well. Well, this is the end of chapter six. Next time, we'll jump into chapter seven. Prepare for more geekiness. That's all I can say. And I also would like to take time here to say thank you to everybody who listens to my show, my podcast. I, I really enjoy making this. I'm a performer, and during this time, I don't have the ability to perform, and this gives me kind of an outlet. I apologize for, you know, the fact that I'm not a professional. I'm kind of winging a lot of this. So hopefully I learn better methods, better technology as we go on. I, I really want to make this a thing. I, I'm really enjoying it. There's over a thousand chapters in the Bible and I want to cover them all. Maybe the show gets a little longer as time goes on. Maybe we have more bits. Maybe we have more people. I don't know. But for right now, I'm really, really enjoying this and I hope you are too. Thank you again for tuning in. I have been your study buddy buddy. And if you'd like to contact me, Look me up on facebook.com slash studybuddy, or you can email me at bs.studybuddy at gmail.com. Hey, it's okay to smell the bullshit. Just don't get your head stuck in the bucket. We'll see you next time.